so Edwards, in all your uh, you know random savant, diverse trivia knowledge, background, et cetera, that you just seem to amaze folks with endlessly, I think I may have one finally. Funny, since you're a northerner by birth, did you ever play hockey? I played some floor hockey. I will tell you that my body was much more suited for football, and unfortunately, I cannot ice skate. But hockey is one of my most favorite sports. I was actually going to ask you, I'm very curious, do you know what the offsides rule is in hockey? You can't flip it to the other end of the rink unless at least one person on the team is past midcourt or half. No, it's the blue line, but uh, close, close enough. enough. But what were you going to ask me? Well, my thought was essentially I, I didn't see you having the um, agility really to be an ice skater. And if so, I would love to see footage of it. But then I had this random thought back to like, um, you know, Mighty Ducks when they had the uh, the goalie kid. They just, you know, put in front of the goal and tied to all four corners. You could have been effective in that strategy. Yeah, I am a big cat. You do call me the big cat. <laughs> <laughs> My name is John Edwards, and with me as always is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Zeke, I covered sports for a living. I had season tickets to hockey. I know my hockey, damn it. I just was wondering if you'd you know, played it extensively. Most sports, every time I throw something out, oh, I did that for a little while. I mean, the whole skateboarding thing. I, I still can't imagine you in vans with you know, the uh, Jinko shorts and like the, the wallet on a chain and like a skinny black t-shirt and eyeliner and stuff. So, you know, I always wore white tees. I never wore Jankos. I wasn't wearing shorts and pants that were bigger than me. Not anything I ever liked. You're a dumbass. I just want to see you on a skateboard, man. There's got to be footage somewhere. When we grew up, we didn't have camera phones. Somebody had to have one of those old VHS camcorders. There's got to be a picture at the very least. No, I kept all that stuff away. (laughs) Anyways, we have a big show tonight, so I want to get right to it. Today's show is sponsored by CastCartel.com, changing the industry standard as to how you get your alcohol. They are like the Amazon and the spirits industry, and what they do, they match you up with merchants, just like Amazon matches you up with merchants that will send alcohol directly to your door. Right now, it's getting to that time of the year. It is allocation season. They have it. Obviously, their stuff's going to cost a little bit more because it's convenient. You don't have to get off your couch. You can hit a couple buttons and get it shipped right to your door. You don't have to camp out overnight. You could just pay them and they will send it right to you. So go ahead and check out cascartel.com. They are also doing a giveaway for Weller on their Instagram right now. Check them out at cascartel. Zeke, we've talked a lot of hockey so far. I want to tell you, we have a guest on the show tonight. You don't know shit about hockey, so I'm going to give you a little bit of an education here. This man, he won the Stanley Cup in 1999 with the Dallas Stars. A man who was so good, he won an Olympic gold medal and a Stanley Cup. He has the fourth most wins ever in the NHL by a goalie. He played 18 seasons in the NHL for the Blackhawks, the the Sharks, the Stars, the Maple Leafs, and the Panthers. Now he has started a whiskey brand. Please welcome to the show, Eddie the Eagle, Ed Belfour. Thank you so much for joining us here on Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Much appreciated. 
it's not every day that we get to talk to somebody as distinguished as you. Like not everybody slums it and goes on dad's drinking bourbon. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know what? It's, uh, it's always fun to talk about whiskey and, and hockey and uh, it goes right along with uh, the way I grew up. So it's nothing new. Now we were talking a little bit before we got on. I'm very, very interested. What made you after your career? I mean, you were first ballot NHL Hall of Fame in 2011. I mean, you've done it all. What made you decide to start a whiskey brand? I mean, let's go there first. Well, I mean, after you're done playing, you you think that you're going to be able to do all these fun things that you never got to do while you played. And, you know, that wears out pretty quickly. Uh, and there's not a lot of guys you can do those things with. So had to start looking for some type of a routine like I was used to for the last 25 years. And, you know, also uh, you miss out on that paycheck that you were getting all those years and uh, you have to find a way to make some money. So I'm a very competitive guy and very creative. And uh, my son, also uh, a hockey player, a goaltender to himself, uh, he finished his career right after I did, not long after. And uh, we got together and decided that we'd start looking into the uh, whiskey vis- business. Uh, and we thought that it was a very creative field. And the people that we started meeting and, and uh, learning about the business, they, they like to have a lot of fun like hockey players do. Uh, they work hard just like we do. And, you know, when it's time to party, they, they like to have a great time. So we thought that uh, we'd look into that. As far as a, a business goes, we were just going to start out real small. We ordered a little five-gallon still, and we're going to start making it ourselves and quickly learned that that was highly illegal. And um, I didn't want to be deported, so we went down the route of looking into getting licensing and doing all that, and one thing led to another, and hopefully we'll be building our distillery in uh, Kentucky here next year. So we got some places that we know if you want to put that still to use. Come on out to Tennessee. We'll make sure we could still run it, and nobody will find it. It'll be in the woods somewhere. Officially, I'm not taking any part of this. <laughs> Come on, you know some places in Georgia he can go. Off the record, we can talk later, though. But officially, no good. No, we've done everything by the book, for sure. For me, I have a bit of an art background, too. Uh, throughout my high school and college, I enjoyed the art side of uh, my personality and uh, had won a few contests as a little kid. So I find that whiskey is very creative. I think no two whiskeys taste the same. You know, you get all the different woods that you can use, the different barrels. I do all the the barrel selection. The mash bills, I mean, you know, you have so much fun with the mash bills. There's so many different yeast strains. And I really enjoy the research and development side of this and and trying to create some really unique flavors. And, you know, what we've done with our our pecan finished uh, bourbon. Uh, It was a lot of fun creating that bourbon. And, um, it seems like it's been a big hit. A lot of people enjoy it, and it's uh, very easy and smooth to drink at a, at a young age. I mean, you are hitting on all of the dorky things that <laughs> Zeke and I like talking about with whiskey. I do have to ask, though, I'm interested on this art background because I have two questions for you. Your helmet. I mean, everybody knows. Zeke, did you know this? Because you don't know much about hockey, but did you know that goalies like to put art on their helmets? No. 
Okay, so each goalie, they might have different helmets for different times. They might repaint it for the playoffs. Now, Ed here had an eagle famously on the side of his helmet. I'm curious, did you design that or did you have somebody else do it? So uh, back when I first started my career in 87, most of the, the young goalies weren't allowed to get a nice mask like that. You had to kind of prove yourself first. And, you know, it was like a, a, a reward when you got to get a mask. And so after my um, um, successful third year uh, playoff where I had a chance finally to actually get in the game and show what I could do after spending three years in the minors, I had a really successful uh, playoff run. And uh, the next year they allowed me to get a mask. So that was, ended up being my rookie year. Played 74 out of the 82 games and uh, one rookie of the year and all that. So when I went to the mask maker, uh, Greg Harrison in Toronto, uh, he asked me what I wanted. And I said, I wanted a mean looking bird on each side of the mask. And um, he put two eagles on there. And that's how I ended up getting the nickname Eddie the Eagle also. Mike Keenan gave it to me. And he was our coach with the Blackhawks at that time. Uh, and it just stuck. And um, it, that mask is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And then it evolved over the years to uh, different models and, and, you know, different things that I added in there. I didn't do the actual artwork on the, the first two. I started getting involved in the, the masks after the first two. And um, this eagle right here on my hat is the, the latest eagle, which is a kind of a, a neat war type eagle. And that's what's on our bottle, too. And uh, the good thing about this eagle is one of my best friends, Jeff Friesen, who ran my car shop uh, for the better part of uh, 15 years. His daughter was born in 99 when we won the cup with the Dallas Stars. And we have a picture of her in the Stanley Cup. Uh, her <laughs> name is Abby. And um, she did the artwork on the new eagle. And so we have her to thank for uh, the new eagle that's on the Belfour bottle and uh, on a lot of our hats and T-shirts and stuff. So. Thank you to Abby Friesen for such a great job on, on my new eagle. And I love it because it's it's actually carved into the cork on the top. The eagle is everywhere from the wings on the side of the bottle. Zeke took one look at this bottle and he goes, did you buy a decanter? And he was like, this is a pretty bottle. And for Zeke, I'm normally the guy who mentions the marketing. For Zeke to mention the marketing, that never happens, but... <laughs> I do have to say what I like about this version of the Eagle is it kind of looks like it has a smirk. Like it kind of looks like it's like up to something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's got that, that devious look on him for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody knows me, they know why. But uh, anyway, we're really proud that Abby, you know, did the artwork on that. And um, I tell everybody that the bottle is about version 100 I was heavily involved with it. Peggy No Stevens helped us with it. We wanted something from the 20s, you know, from the Gatsby era, Art Deco looking. And um, I think we, we did a great job with it. I'm very proud of the bottle. It's very unique. We wanted something unique. You know, goalies like to think of themselves as very unique characters and individuals. And for me, that bottle there represents uh, mine and Dane's character. And, um, you know, we wanted Belfort to be bold on the bottle and, and the wings fit perfectly there. So uh, we're very proud of it. And um, we're happy that we get a lot of compliments and, uh, you know, goes right along, uh, like, like I said, with, with our personalities and our character. Definitely an eye catcher. And then uh, 
right when you mentioned that kind of 20s uh, Art Deco speakeasy, uh, you know, era, yeah. you hit the nail on the head. Um, obviously, I, that didn't cross my mind when I first saw them, but as soon as you mentioned it, it was just like light bulbs flashing, like, ooh, damn, they, they really did this up just right. Yeah, the second he mentioned it, I looked at the font. The only thing I could think in my head is like, this bottle is very Gatsby. Yeah. And then he also mentioned that he got Peggy involved. And anytime you could get Peggy No Stevens involved in anything, isn't Peggy just the best? She is. Yeah, she's fun to work with. We've had a lot of great dinners with her, and she's such a professional, and, and she's taught us a lot about the industry, you know, about branding and She's been a great help. And for Dane and I, we, we met her and some other folks that are still working with us at the Moonshine University there in Louisville, Kentucky. We learned a lot about the business and uh, uh, Don Hardwick still works with us that we met through there. Randy Allender and Don Rogers helped us out also. Uh, so we're very thankful for those folks. Uh, they do a great job there. So you actually went through the paces and you went to Moonshine University, got plugged in with Peggy. I mean, you went full bore in on this thing. Yeah, we've been at this for about seven years. Uh, our first schooling, we went to uh, Canadian uh, Institute of Distilling in Kelowna, B.C. We learned a lot about the business, um, you know, how it works in Canada. And then that was a really good introduction for us. Right after that, Dane did... Uh, his internship with Woody Creek Distillery in Basalt, Colorado. He worked there for the better part of uh, seven, eight months. Uh, he made you know whiskey during the daytime, worked at the distillery. At night, he coached hockey, so it was a perfect fit for him. We made our first 12 barrels there. He did it himself, and those are our limited edition. The cup on top, the chalice, like beautiful silver chalice. It's our rye whiskey 70-20-10 mash bill. It uh, doesn't taste like our regular rye. Different yeast, different barrel, different water, obviously uh, Colorado versus uh, North Carolina. But everyone really enjoys it. It's 100 proof. It's got some nice fruity notes to it. My dad really enjoys that one. He tells me whenever I can to bring a bottle home for him. So uh, all his friends enjoy it back home. And we're not in Canada yet. So, you know, because of COVID, we would have been there already. But hopefully this coming year, we will be. We got to save him a case because with only 12 barrels of that, you know, it can't be around for too much longer. No, we saved one barrel to go to Canada too. So approximately 240 bottles will go to Canada and that's it. So... I'm sure the people there will love to see it and it'll be gone pretty quickly. So I want to circle back. I feel like we've gone off a little bit, but it was a great conversation. So I didn't want to stop it, but let's go back in the beginning because you are from Canada. Canada is famous for their rye. What did you grow up drinking? You know, you hear a lot of hockey players talk about drinking beer, but you don't always hear them go in and start talking about whiskey. So how'd you get involved in whiskey and what turned you on to it? Yeah, so we pretty much all started drinking beer, you know, somewhere around the age of 10. <laughs> and, you know, that led to whiskey, of course. And, and for me, it was Canadian Club. So I didn't know, you know, too much about whiskey. When I first went to uh, the States when I was 21, I got a hockey scholarship to the University of North Dakota Fighting Sioux. And um, I was a 21-year-old freshman, so I could go to the bars and I'd order a Ryan Coke. And the bartender would look at me like, what, what the heck is a Ryan Coke? So I quickly learned you had to say whiskey Coke in the U S but that was, you know, something that was kind of funny for me, but over the years, 
you know, after living in the U.S., I got a chance to to start learning more about the bourbons and, you know, different rye whiskeys and stuff, which wasn't very popular at that point. But we've learned a lot about the whole industry. And I know which ryes uh, I don't like. And I didn't want our, our rye to be, you know, too pungent, uh, which some can be. Uh, we tried to smooth it out. And that's why we changed the mash bill to a, a 70 2010 a little bit more corn and it just smooths it out a little bit more. It's a northeastern mash bill from the Pittsburgh area. I think it turned out pretty much the way we wanted it to. So we're really happy with that. That's my favorite product that we've made so far. That's the rye. You figured the rye out. Now you live outside of Dallas. You obviously had great memories there with the cup in 99 your bourbon you've actually finished it in pecan wood and you you wanted to give it a, a texas influence how do you figure out the mash bill for the bourbon what made you decide on the finish in the pecan wood and what were you kind of thinking about with that well we wanted again our product to be really smooth easy to drink the mash bill is a 60 30 10 so right off the bat, there's a lot of wheat in there. It's 30% wheat. At that point, we were learning about, you know, different bourbons that if we used wheat, it, it would smooth it out, make it uh, a little bit sweeter. Learned a little bit more through Russ Karsh at uh, Black Swan Barrels in Minnesota. He taught me a lot about how to use uh, different woods to, to finish the products we went there and he had, I don't know, probably six or seven different types of wood that he had a sip on and try them. And um, he really was really a um, promoter of pecan. And when we tried the pecan, we were like, oh, yeah, this is this is really good. We started experimenting with different uh, uh, toast levels of the pecan wood. We really enjoyed how how that flavor profile you know got better and better each time we tried it. And we, like I was saying, we experimented with the different toast levels on it. And it didn't take long. It only takes about six weeks uh, in the barrel to finish it. We wanted that Texas connection. So the, all the pecan wood is from Texas here. It's harvested here. And then it's sent to uh, Minnesota to get uh, milled and then made into these little staves that are all honeycombed, which gives you a, a lot more surface area. That's how the pecan came about. And... We started tasting all of our friends on it and everyone loved it right away. So uh, as you know, it's hard to get a young bourbon to taste good. And it's even harder to get uh, a weeded bourbon to, to taste good at a young age. You, that's one thing that we didn't know about when we first got into this, but we quickly learned. You know, it takes a while, uh, a lot longer than a, a ride. Uh, the pecan really helped it along. That's why it, it can taste good at it was tasting good at a year, actually. The stuff that's on the shelves right now is uh, 18 months, and uh, soon to be here, it'll be uh, all the labels will say straight bourbon whiskey. It's funny, as you mention all of this stuff, everything that Zeke and I would come up with and say like, well, you know, weed and bourbon takes a little bit longer. We That's something we say all the time, and you know, we've seen countless brands push back a release just because wheat takes an extra year or two. It's so refreshing that you know all that stuff. We've interviewed quote unquote celebrity brands and they don't always know about that distilling side of it. I, I really got to take my hat off to you for uh, diving in there and really getting into the nuances of this stuff. I'm curious. I mean, you settled on the 70-20-10 
and the 60-30-10, how many different recipes and mash bills and yeast strains did you try before you settled on those? There wasn't really a lot of research and development on the actual um, mash bills. I'd say we probably did two of each. And same thing with the yeast. The yeast was um, uh, Dr. Pat's yeast there out of uh, Kentucky. He's the best. The yeast for our, our 12 barrels, that's the only yeast that is different. And that's why our two ryes, they don't taste anything alike. Completely different. Most of our development has been with barrels and with finishes. And, and we did a lot of research and development with toasting of the barrels, uh, charring of the barrels. I found that that makes a huge difference. The different woods that you finish with, they're fun to work with, and some are great and some just okay. But we really love the pecan. And like I said, we wanted that Texas connection. We had this huge pecan tree in, in the backyard of our ranch here in Texas. It was probably a, I don't know, four or 500-year-old tree. You know, that was kind of neat that it worked out that way. We didn't plan it, obviously, but uh, it's fun to talk about how well the whiskey is uh, recepted by people. The best thing to do is when you, when you do a tasting and, and you see people, you know, say things like, well, we don't really like whiskey. You know, we had a bad experience with it. And then you say, well, you know, just take a little sip of it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to drink it. And it's pretty funny when, when they take a sip of our whiskeys and they're like, oh, wow, that's really smooth and easy to drink. And that's, that's really what we wanted to create with our whiskeys is something that's very easy to drink. We have a 125 proof, a barrel proof bourbon that we've been working on, and it actually tastes smoother than some of our uh, 105 stuff. It's pretty neat, you know, when we do our tastings and stuff behind the scenes, research and development, how much just one proof point can make a difference, uh, even on the same, you know, barrels and same uh, mash bills, but uh, a 125 proof. I've, I've done this with a lot of my friends. I'm like, okay, try this one and then try this one. One's a 105 proof, one's a 125. They get it backwards every time. They think the 105 is a 125. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's how smooth our 125 barrel proof is. It's funny too, because I think on the flip side of the coin, if you ever mentioned finish to a lot of the, the purest type people, that you know, they'll kind of shun or look away and no, 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 no. That, I don't mess with those things. I, I don't want them. I, I, I'm not into that. I, I just want regular whiskey or however they want to dub it. But the same thing, you, you put in a blind and you don't necessarily tell them what it is. Yeah. So some of the more experienced palates, you know, can definitely pick up that there's something else going on with it. But if you get them to truly be honest and, and you know, obviously the, the product has to be good as well. But when it is, they'll at least like, you know, bite their lip and then finally tell you on the side or, or whisper in your ear. Yeah, it was good. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've heard that a couple of times. That's always nice to hear because we're not trying to, to pull the wool over anybody's eyes or anything. Like that. We just want to make great whiskey and, and have people enjoy it. That's that's what we try to do. And, and, and like I want everyone to know that we work hard at this every day. Like we have a team and when I get up in the morning, you know, I'm on on the phone, I'm emailing, you know, everything we can do to promote our brand and, and make our whiskey better. That's what we do. We got a great team. Uh, just like my hockey career, you know, I took it very seriously and, you know, gave 100% every day that, that I went to the rink. And, um, you know, anything that I get involved with, you know, I'm very detailed and I want to know everything about it and be hands-on with everything. That's how we treat uh, Belfort Spirits and our brand. I didn't want to be another one of those celebrities just slap a name on, 
on a bulk spirit and know sh- nothing about it. It works great for tequila and gin, though. <laughs> <laughs> so have you guys tinkered around with different uh, cooperages as well? Yeah, yeah. We've tried quite a few different ones. You know, they're all awesome to work with. There's a new one coming out. Um, been around a little bit from West Virginia, uh, the Great Barrel Company. Uh, we're doing some test barrels with them right now. And uh, Speyside, doing some test barrels with them right now. Calvin, that's what uh, our, our pecan finished bourbon is in, is the Calvin barrels. Uh, we have some really good whiskey coming up from independent stave barrels. So, yeah, I do a lot of the all that stuff. And I just find the wood enjoyable. It's just just awesome. And I found this, uh, it's, it's crazy, but when I was in... Uh, Minnesota doing a visit with uh, Black Swan and, and Russ up there. He educated me a lot about white oak and, you know, how long it takes those trees to grow. You know, it's a minimum of 80 years for a tree and you don't really get that many barrels of a tree. There's going to be a scarcity at some point with the wood because of, you know, how popular uh, whiskey is now and, you know, how many more distilleries there are and cooperages. So he taught me a lot about that, and I was walking on the on our golf course here, uh, just around the corner from where I live. I have a nice trail. I walk down through the golf course, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's white oak all over the place on the golf course," which I didn't realize before. And so I took some pictures of this one in particular tree that was just a monster, huge tree, and the acorns. Uh, hold on one second. I gotta grab this and show you. What? <laughs> Can you see that? Yeah, they look like rocks. Those are the acorns off of this tree. That's how big they are. And I sent him pictures of these acorns and the leaves on that tree and the bark. And he goes, Ed, that's probably the original species of white oak. He said that tree is probably 500 plus years old. I mean, this tree is like, I don't know, like six feet in diameter. It's amazing how big it is. And um, so my plan is to collect all the acorns. And I'm going to start planting the acorns and turning them in, into seedlings. And, and eventually, our hope is to plant these at our distillery in Kentucky. I think it would be a great story. You know, sometime in the future, you know, 100 years from now, when these trees start to get, you know, really big, of course, I won't be around. And, you know, hopefully, uh, it'll still be in the Belfour family. Well, that's almost yeah. bringing Texas to Kentucky there a little bit. So it's good. Yeah, a little bit. And... You know, we, we have all kinds of plans like that. And I'd like to really, you know, eventually, you know, buy a, a section up in Minnesota and, and plant these these acorns up there, too. And, you know, try and keep producing these trees. And, and um, you know, I think you, you got to look into this because it's so important for this business to, to give back and plant trees. I couldn't believe it when I saw those acorns and how big they are. Plus, you know, being self-sustaining, that it's almost, uh, you know, going to be a key element to, to long-term viability. You know, like you mentioned, you can't make those trees grow any faster. There's more mm-hmm. and more people sourcing them every day. But eventually, that, that tide's got to turn in some degree to where either, obviously, the, the, the price would have to go up if they, you know, suddenly hit, you know, premium like timber or any other, you know, good. So uh, if, if anyone that, you know, manages to get ahead of the game and go ahead and start you know, planting their own trees now, they may be able to, to offset some of that. But uh, I definitely think, you know, kind of circling back to just talking about the cooperages and dabbling in the different ones, 
I think that's the biggest wave that, you, you know, it hasn't uh, reached its peak yet as far as, uh, you know, the bourbon or whiskey community goes. But we're seeing more and more of it dabbling and experimental, whether it be just the barrel to begin with, uh, you know, finish it in a new technique. But more and more, the focus is really going from the juice to the cooperages in a large degree, I think. And again, I haven't seen too many people really start to to hone in on that. But uh, I, I love seeing that you guys are already, uh, you know, ahead of the curve on that, so to speak, because I think that's just the next year or three or five. That's going to be the biggest thing that we see, uh, you know, as a, a shift as far as what people look at and gauge whiskey by almost. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, when you have all these uh, experimental barrels and then you sit down and do a tasting, you know, there's some that just do unbelievable and then there's some that are just okay. And then there's some that are just, you know, they're just uh, very, very average. But uh, you learn a lot from doing that. And, um, you know, when we go to, to bottle, we hand select our barrels. And then when we proof down, you know, we proof down to that sweet spot every time we bottle. You know, and it's crazy, like from 91 to 92, 93 proof, 94 proof, just one proof point at a time. And even a half proof point, sometimes the flavor profile can be so much different. So, you know, we usually print up four different labels when we go to bottle and we find the sweet spot and then we bottle at that sweet spot. And so like the next time you see our pecan out there, it might be 93 instead of 92. You got to do that. And we were just talking about that today, Zeke and I, the proof points. I mean, I always hate when a brand comes out there and says like, oh, we're just throwing like, yes, okay. If this is for the masses and you're putting something out and you want to stick it at 90 proof, go ahead and stick it at 90 proof. But for these limited edition allocated releases and at your size, I mean, every release you have is like a limited edition allocated release. I would hate to see you just go, oh yeah, well, I put it at 90 because I thought you had to pick a proof and there it is. Let the whiskey tell you where it needs to be. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. The other thing that we do, you know, we how the, the white dog comes off the still, that, that makes a huge difference too. So we've, you know, been there while the still's been running and we'll taste it at different proof points there also. And then what you put it in the barrel at is also another added detail that's very important. And that's what we try to do is pay attention to all these details. Uh, Like I was telling you earlier, I used to do that with, you know, make my own equipment. Uh, All my skate blades were special. I used to hand sharpen all my skates myself. And um, that same detail goes into our whiskey. Not to, to dance too far off off the path. Definitely love the conversation on the cooperages in the wood. And again, I think that's going to be just more and more prevalent as we move forward with, with whiskey. Uh, but kind of circling back to, to distribution, I know you mentioned uh, obviously wanting to get into to Canada once uh, the current mess is over. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But so where else are, are you guys currently distributed? Uh, so we started in... Um, Illinois and Texas. We're also in North Dakota, South Dakota. We're soon to be in uh, Missouri, Arizona, Georgia, Tennessee, of course. Hopefully next year we can open up. We're looking at doing another, I think, eight or 10 states. Um, You know, the the whole COVID thing really put a damper on how much we could do, of course. But, uh, you know, we work hard at it. And... um, you know, right now we're just trying to, to get all across each one of those states. You know, we're not we're not in a lot of places yet in Tennessee, but uh, 
Uh, we're definitely working hard at that. And um, if you go to bellforspears.com, uh, there's a, a search uh, bar there where you can put in your zip code and it'll tell you where the nearest liquor store is or bar that handles our products. And um, of course, we're on Instagram and, and Facebook also. You know, and we talked a lot about how you figured all this stuff out. There was a lot to go through with the mash pills and the wood, and this is all great conversation. How the hell are you distilling it, right? Because your distillery isn't up and running yet. We didn't even get there, and we're 45 minutes into this thing. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Dane did the internship at Woody Creek. You know, he learned a lot hands-on. Uh, he ran the still himself. So that was a, a huge feather in his cap. I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that when we have our own distillery. I really love being at at the distillery in North Carolina. When I'm there, like I'm at the still watching everything, and you know they let us do you know a little bit here and there. But um, you know we're going to order a 14 inch column from Van Dome, so it'll make I think somewhere between five and seven thousand barrels a year. So I look forward to that day of of actually being at the distillery running the still. I'm pretty hands-on with everything I do. So we'll definitely hire a master distiller to be there full time. But I really look forward to that time of, of being there, you know, maybe whatever it is, two or three weeks at a time. Um, you know, I'm on the road a lot promoting the brand. Uh, so I can't be at the distillery, I don't think, full time. I mean, let's be honest here. Even if you wanted to be, it's too beneficial for you to you know be out and actually talking to people and shaking hands and you can't sell a whole bunch of cases in north dakota if you're sitting back running a still as much as fun as it could be right yeah yeah exactly you know we got some smaller stills that i know that i'll be hands-on with those you know quite often and and doing a lot of research and development um, we still have that little five gallon still and then we'll have a 25-gallon still, too, that one of our plans is to do uh, the little five-gallon barrels. Hopefully, um, we'll be able to do some programs where, you know, we'll have them on the back bar and stuff like that, put a tap in them. You know, I've had lots of our friends and, and customers ask about, you know, private barrels and stuff like that. So we've been trying to work on how we're going to do that legally. And, and I think the way to do it, I haven't got all the details yet, but... Uh, you have to put it in bottles first, you know, you, and then you put it back in the same barrel. Um, so it's legal. Oh, so they don't want to just buy a, a private barrel. They want to actually have the barrel full of whiskey. Yeah. Like uh, I, I got a good friend. Uh, he's got a really awesome wine cellar and he wants one of our barrels in his wine cellar with a tap on it. So <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, legally how we're going to make that happen so we might have to bottle you know 240 bottles and then you know deliver the barrel in the bottle somehow and then get you know go over there and then pour it back in i i think that's probably the legal way to do it i mean zeke and i have bought our fair share of barrels and then we've even done a rebarreling project with four roses we basically got a barrel that we had just picked at four roses and then got it empty, but we made sure they didn't rinse it out for us before we picked it up. And then we got a whole bunch of picks from Four Roses that were already bottled and poured yeah. them back in the barrel and yeah. then aged that's it exactly for another it. eight months. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. So that's, I think that's the way we got to do it. And 
but we're going to have these little five gallon barrels too. It's, it's kind of the idea. And um, I think the 25 gallon still should work perfectly or pretty close for that. I kind of like it. I mean, it's like, you know, when you go to a brewery and you can get a crowler, yeah, those five gallon barrels are kind of like a crowler. Like, you know, you could buy five gallons. How many bottles would be out of five gallons? Uh, there's 240 and 53 gallons approximately. I got to do a proportion here. Divide by 10, right? Basically. It would be 53X <laughs> equals. Well, while he's doing a lot, uh, you know, uh, getting out his, his protractor and his slide rule real quick. <laughs> so is everything you guys have currently, is it all in 53s or are you using any smaller barrels for, for the stocks? Everything's in the 53s right now. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I know, uh, didn't know how much the, the Texas influence kind of factored in there. I know not everyone in Texas uses the smaller barrels, but at least a few of the spots that we've had on or, or tasted over the years, they used those to try and you know combat the loss from the heat and also get a product that was ready, obviously quicker than it would be in a 53. So didn't know if you guys were, were doing a mix of that or all 53s or whatnot. All 53s, but um, I do believe that the, the smaller barrels, the, the 30s or 15s down to fives, they they definitely age quicker is what I've been told. I haven't experienced it yet. But that's one of the other reasons why we want to do the fives so that, you know, it could be ready in six months and, you know, have great flavor. I had this answer already. I was letting you guys finish, but the answer is 22.64. Well, there you go. And then uh, the other thing I would say is, yeah, you know, those smaller barrels, a lot of people experiment aging different ways there's nothing though don't call me a purist here but there's a funkiness sometimes to those smaller barrels in in the taste that you get on there and there's just something about that 53 gallon barrel taste that i don't think can be replicated well it's good to know i'll i'll find out for sure yeah, yeah, I mean, do some experimenting. You got to, but it's something about like Zeke the other day. We were tasting something, and he was like, "This just tastes like it was in a smaller barrel to me." Oh, it just ends up with with some subtle nuance, uh, both nose and and palate. Different distilleries, different climates. The the only common factor that's that's not variable is literally the just that the wood is a smaller barrel than whatnot. But I've just seen it over enough different places now where it's like, all right, we haven't ruled out everything else. But, I mean, damn near for the most part, this is the only thing we can put our finger on. Well, I'll definitely be experimenting with it. So I'll let you know one day what, what I find out. And then well, obviously they, uh, they, they move quick, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at planting some roots down in Kentucky. You've been distilling basically your own mash bill at in North Carolina. And I want to talk about this stuff for a minute. Zeke, what did you think of this rye and this bourbon? I mean, have you been taking notes? I've been taking notes about anything and everything other than this whiskey, but kind of a high level overview. What do you think? Um, I've got notes on both. I've, uh, you know, part of the course, you, you, you talk quote unquote, maybe too much. I could talk too little, but it gives me time to taste and get some notes here. At least I'm the play by play. You're the analyst. So do some analyzing. All right, so I'll start with the right. That's, that's what I wrote on the left for some reason, but left to right is easiest for me. The nose, I felt like it was more wintergreen than mint, and I think that's kind of like 
splitting hairs off of rye grains, but I wouldn't just dub it a mint profile. It, it's off from that. I, I, I really thought it was more of a, like a cooling wintergreen kind of thing. And then at the back end, I felt like you could really feel the barley presence in it. But what it translated to me, uh, kind of coupled with that wintergreen, if you're ever a kid and uh, had honeysuckles and snapped the back off and just kind of sucked it through, you get some sweet off of it, obviously being a honeysuckle, but you also um, you just get kind of an herbaceous, earthy quality to where it's, it's just a natural sweet. And, and I really thought that was what kind of resonated through the back end of the nose. Palette-wise, which I kind of did these backwards, I tasted both of them, dabbled for a little bit. Then we circled back to nosing them out of a glass. Uh, the first thing I put for the palate on the rye was an Andes meets a Reason. Like the little chocolate things, you know? It's like the thin wafer, thin uh, squares that have chocolate with the mint in the middle. Well, the Andes are like the, the chocolates with a layer of mint in the middle. Isn't that what reason. I just said? You said something about a waffle. I don't know. I said wafer. It's wafer oh. thin. Oh, well, there's no wafer in it. That's all I heard. <laughs> Anyway, I, I got Andes meets a reason. In my mind, this tasted to me like a dark brown waffle. I don't know if that's indicative of what goes into it, but just, you know, those like dark brown Belgian waffles that are you know, literally like the color of just deep wood. That's what showed up in my mind. And toward the finish, the rye grain kind of circled back around. And again, it, it was, you know, more of like a, a wintergreen profile to me, not what I would just dub mint. I would agree with you. I think just like the nose, there's a bit of a barley and youth kick up in the tail end of the taste on this. It's not off-putting at all. Like you're not tasting this going, oh man, it's a young whiskey. I really kind of enjoy I mean, you know I love a good barley finish that kind of has a little bit of beer quality to it as well. And that's really what I uh, I get out of this is that it's not that spearmint pine and uh, I really like that. And then it kind of moves to this sweet on the front. I'm not getting a huge rye tingle. Given the mash bill and knowing that it's 70, 20, 10, I kind of like that. It, it is a very easy sipper for a young whiskey that's under two years, knowing that they're moving to straight. There's nothing about this that screams young whiskey to me. It's something that screams like, hey, you could drink me and it goes down easy. Yeah, no, I feel like the grains are in a good spot. Nobody can rush Mother Nature, but as time does what it should and, and the wood, and, and like we talked about with the cooperages, that oak does what it should. Uh, I think you're just going to see more and more synergy and balance in the product. Hmm. Well, thank you. I agree 100% with you, Zeke. For people that have put out a young product, I think there have been brands that have pushed the boundary to show what young products can do and we know that with Chattanooga and Pinhook and Penelope and all sorts of stuff like this. And uh, I think Ed has just continued to prove that if you put the time in and you care, anybody who just buys young whiskey slaps a label on it and says, all right, I'm going to go ahead and put this out and try and make money. That's not going to be good. But the people that actually put the time in and care and do the homework and go to Moonshine University and go to a place in Canada and start figuring out what different finishes are going to do for the wood and different cooperages are going to do for the wood. Yeah, you can look at their 18-month whiskey and say, damn, this has some makings here where I would drink this right now, but I kind of drink this and look at it like where's the potential it's going to go in the future because if this is where it's at now, I can only see it going up. 
know. Yeah. I would definitely say this is not a case of, of someone putting their name on a product. This is someone eating, living, sleeping, you know, fully immersifying themselves in it and, and doing everything the right way, which, you know, on paper, you never know. And, and like we talked about earlier, you see plenty of folks that buy into a gin, buy into a vodka, tequila, whatever. And really, they're just there for star appeal. But by no means is, is this the case at all, which is a, a wonderful uh, surprise and, and thing to find out. Well, thank you very much, guys. What do you think about the, the pecan? The pecan? Yeah, I'm <laughs> saying pecan because Ed said pecan. And a be- well, I've been taught. <laughs> I grew up saying pecan also. I go back and forth. I, I think from growing up in Georgia and then living in a few various spots, it really depends on who you're around and what they say first, and you just you know mimic it. But um, I had to throw that out there just for a good laugh. I was trying to be a good host, and just whatever Ed said, I was going with it. <laughs> Nose-wise, it definitely has a sweet appeal to it, but at the same time, it, it's not artificial or, or manufactured to me by any means. It's, it still maintains enough qualities to seem herbaceous, natural, organic, you know, whatever you want to call it. You, you can just tell when certain flavors are derived naturally versus somebody, you know, synthesized it in a lab, used some extra sugars, this, that, and whatnot. It might look and initially smell the same, but if you really dive into it, it kind of falls apart, turns into something else. You can just tell it's not natural. That's just the best description I really have for that. Moving forward to the palate. I thought it was was very somewhat similar. I just put that it was, um, you know, syrupy with a pecan influence. And like we talked about, you know, earlier in the show, it's one of those things to where, yes, like Ed said, he's got friends that say they don't like bourbon. Try this. You know, it's going to say it on there, but it's not what they're going to think going in. And at the same time, on the opposite side of the coin, the full, you know, 180 degrees is going to be the purest. Well, I don't want anything that's not just, you know, no staves, no nothing, just aging a barrel, let time do its thing, et cetera. But then they taste it and it's like, hey, this ain't damn bad now. This has a place. I, I may have to come off my high horse a little bit and you know, put it in a bag or something because I can't admit that I, I like it. It's, it's not the pure product I've sworn by my whole life. But you know, if I can get over that hurdle, <laughs> you might be on to something here kind of thing. Also, uh, kind of towards the mid palate, it does show a little bit of heat and youth. But we know that going in. It, it, it's a young product. It, it's almost to be expected. A slight singe at the back. But all in all, I like these kind of things. I like these kind of experiments. Not to go on a whole different soapbox, but one of the things John and I have always kind of complained and bitched about, to be honest, is when people in the you know the whiskey or bourbon world, they, they mimic you know scotch and what they've been successful with for finishes. And to me, they're not using their brain. They're just saying, well, Scotch uses Oloroso or, or Cab or Sherry for a finish. Why wouldn't it work with whiskey? Well, do the flavors align? Because Scotch and whiskey to me taste totally damn different most days, especially bourbon, if you, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I like seeing people that, that think and, and taste their products and taste other influencers and want something to, to synergize and align there. And, and the fact you know, being transparent with it. Hey, nobody's trying to fool anybody here. We're telling you what we're making. We're telling you what it is. Get beyond that if you have a, a problem and just say, all right, does this align? Did somebody really take the time to, to taste out this profile to, to see what, what little factors they could add to it to, to make it better? And as long as you accomplish that goal, 
end of the day, I, I don't have any qualms at all. And again, I, I just applaud folks for thinking outside the box and, and being novel enough and brave enough to say, okay, sure, people have established they can do a finish in this, that, et cetera. But we don't want to do that. We don't think it tastes good. We want to find something that we want to drink. We're happy to sell to people and want people to enjoy drinking as well. Yeah, well, that's that's what we think too. So we're happy to hear you say that. Well, I'll just jump in real quick and say, uh, Zeke, I agree with your assessment that the mid palate, though, it's almost a little perfumey. There's a big floral aspect to it mid palate for me, but the rest of it, I'd say, is pretty spot on. And and I just, again, I got to tip my cap to you for this because it it's not what I went in expecting at all. You know, I don't, I don't want you to take that the wrong way. I mean, I think these are always our favorite shows where we go in and you're, you're like, all right, I mean, this guy's a hall of famer. He's starting a whiskey label. And you know, even the fact that when the PR companies reach out and they go, yeah, well, do you want to talk to Ed? And it's like, well, you know, all these celebrity brands are like, oh, you could talk to such and such person, such and such person. They're like, no, Ed will come on with you. And then you learn, everything that you've done it's crazy i can't wait to get in person with you and uh and drink some of this stuff and dork out on whiskey (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sounds like a great time for sure we look forward to coming to nashville that's that's uh definitely on our list as soon as possible I'll, i'll easily second that just on the simple notion that obviously john lines up a lot of this stuff so like oh we're gonna talk with this guy okay who is it ed balfour okay you ever heard of him no man he's a hockey guy Talking to a hockey guy? <laughs> a bourbon? Yeah, man. Like, all right, dude. I, I'm game. I'll see what he's got. And then an hour and 15 minutes later, I'm like, shit, this guy's done more research than probably half the people we talk to. Like, Jesus. <laughs> 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 and, and people would be bored as hell probably, but John and I would just be sitting here glued for a while. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you're in Illinois, Texas, Arizona, North Dakota, South Dakota, Tennessee, I think a couple other places, right? Soon to be Missouri, Georgia. Did you say Georgia? I did not say you're Zeke's home state. And um, then soon to be Canada, you know, hopefully yeah, sooner soon than later. The, uh, as soon as the borders open up, it's been kind of sad. I haven't been able to get home to visit my mom and dad at all. I have I mean, that. My mom is so scared with everything that even if I went back up to Boston, she would make me stay on the porch for 14 days before I could actually talk to her. <laughs> before you go, I have to ask you one thing. We didn't talk a whole bunch of hockey, but everybody gets the cup for, for a day, right? It gets to come home to your house. So I just have to ask, what did you do with the cup? Yeah. So dream come true. First of all, you know, being a, a kid in Canada, that's what you play for every day from the time you're about four years old. You know, play street hockey, floor hockey. It's all about winning the Stanley Cup. So that day we won it, June 20th, at, and I think it was 1.30 in the morning in Buffalo with the Dallas Stars was my dream come true for my career. And uh, hoisting the cup over my head, I'll never forget. I was fortunate enough to get the cup for two days. And so I took it to uh, the University of North Dakota, uh, where I won the NCAA with them in 1987. 40 wins, 8 losses. They called our team the dream team. And about 6,000 people showed up at the uh, gymnasium to see the Stanley Cup and you know get pictures with it. Uh, from there, I took it on the, the school bus. We Some of my teammates from, from North Dakota and uh, one of my assistant coaches, we all went up to Carmen 
uh, I remember going across the border and, and the border guards were like, come on the, on the bus. And they're like, is that the Stanley Cup? <laughs> they were, they were like just amazed. We had to, you know, get pictures with the border guards and, you know, they just had a blast. So, you know, those guys uh, were really excited to see the cup. And then we went to my hometown, Carmen, Manitoba, a uh, little farming community and, about 2,500 people is the population of Carmen. But we had about 750 people come to a private dinner that night, all my friends and relatives. And during the day, there was people coming from all the little towns you grew up playing, you know, hockey with and hockey against. Uh, so I, if I remember right, the count was like 3,500 people came through Carmen that afternoon to, to see the Stanley Cup and take pictures with it. My good friend and manager at the time, Buddy Voth, also from Carmen, uh, he, he set all that up and managed it for us. You know, we partied with the Stanley Cup, I think, until about one in the morning with all my friends. Took it home. The next morning, I ate cereal out of it. You know, I always wanted to do that. <laughs> so I uh, got a chance to eat cereal out of it and, you know, spend uh, some time with my mom and dad with it. And then we jumped back on the bus and back to Grand Forks, through the border again. Uh, more pictures, of course, on the U.S. side. We used the private jet from uh, North Dakota. We went to Chicago. Uh, that's where I started my career with the Blackhawks. And I uh, played uh, about two years in the minors in Saginaw, Michigan. And so I had friends from Michigan, from Chicago, and we had a big party at the Palmer House Hilton downtown Chicago. That... Uh, place by the way has the best gym out of any hilton i just i've spent many a night uh with my work at palmer house yeah. hilton sorry yeah yeah it was it was so much fun you know we just we partied with the stanley cup there with all our friends i think 800 people showed up for our dinner that night and then um we partied with the cup until about four in the morning and then the, there's a guy who we call the cup boss he's like the guard you know, he travels with the cup everywhere. He wears these white gloves. He's always, you know, neat and tidy and dressed up. And he's like, I'm sorry, guys, but I have to leave. I got to meet Darian Hatcher uh, in Michigan next morning. So he had to get on the road there with the cup. So it was just an unbelievable time. And, and I'm so happy I got the chance to do that with all my friends and family and, and uh, you know, people that helped me get to where I, where I got well, congratulations. That was well, well-deserved. And to have one other thing about hockey before we go, I have to tell you, there's a big hole in my heart. I really miss the 24-7 that used to be on HBO leading up to the Winter Classic every year. My favorite part about it was just when, when hockey players were about to fight. And you think it's like a big thing. You think that it's a, you know, they're going at each other and they're jabbing at each other for a while. But, you know, you hear them mic'd up. And forgive me for my terrible Canadian accent right now, but the, you know, they kind of look at each other and go, Oh, I guess we should fight now. eh?" And the guy's like, yeah, I guess we should. And then like they, they throw their gloves off, have a fight, just skate off and they go, Hey, good fight. And then it's over. Like everybody thinks that, you know, if it's football or basketball or baseball, there's something that led up to the fight. And in hockey, they're, they're just kind of skating around like, Oh, I think we should go now. Yeah. That, definitely happened a lot you know the game has changed a lot now it's not not as much like that anymore it's it's a a, a different brand of hockey uh 
you know, it's, it's a, a very fast game now, very skilled game, uh, whereas the game that I played, there was a lot of skill, but there was a lot of toughness. Like, you had to be, you know, rough and tough and, and, and be able to survive. You know, a lot of those skill players back then, you know, they didn't quite want to get involved in that type of a game. Um, you know, of course, there were, were a lot of them that could do it, like, you know, Mary Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. And, you know, there's so many great players uh, that could do both. And, um, you know, uh, Messier is one of, the, one of the toughest guys that, that, you know, proved that he could score goals and, and fight. And uh, Gordie Howell, obviously the most famous one. Yeah. You can't get better than him. Oh, I mean, I'm, I am a little uh, predisposed to Bobby Orr and Cam Neely, but, uh, and, and Ray Bork, but. Awesome. Awesome players. You never forget that famous photo with, with uh, Bobby Orr flying through the air after he scored the winning goal, right? I have a signed Bobby Orr puck that has that silhouette of him flying through the air on it. So yeah. Yeah. For gotta sure. love all that stuff and uh i gotta love belfour spirits and i gotta love the time that you put into it and i also love the fact that we probably could have talked for three four hours but it's your whole family there working with you from your son to your daughter your 12 year old isn't old enough to work there yet but i'm sure one day he'll work there it's just, it's a family affair. You really care about it and it shows. So we can only wish you the very, very best in everything. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, Zeke. Thanks for having me today and I uh, really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. I was just going to say that as well. And uh, I got a feeling there'll be more of these meetings down the road. So uh, we, we look forward to seeing uh, as you grow, progress and, and have success and uh, look forward to doing it again, certainly. Awesome. Me too. You guys take good care. You as well. Have a great night. Now he got off, but that was crazy. That turned out really good. Yeah, it did. Oh, anyways. Whenever he went into cost and if we'd buy it. <laughs> anyways, Zeke, Ed was amazing, but I want to let everybody know you could get the official dad's drinking bourbon Glencairn by going to premiumbarproducts.com. You can also get laser etched custom glassware. You could get bar tools, all sorts of stuff there. See our friends, Carson, Janie, Vicky. And if you are a distillery or a shop or a bourbon group and you have more of a wholesale order, you can reach out to them as well. You can reach out to me. I'll get you in touch with them. I am happy to do it. They have awesome stuff. This is not the stuff that's going to come off in the dishwasher, although I don't put my Glencairns in the dishwasher anyway. Uh, but this is stuff that's laser etched deep in there at premiumbarproducts.com. Zeke, the folks can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us wherever you download your podcast. Chances are you already have. We want to thank Ed Belfort again for coming on our show. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Good old Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Ciao.